Tonight the topic is delusion. And this topic has come up a few times in the groups. Questions about how to see it and whether, you know, how, how we can recognize it. And so we've talked about it some in the groups, but I thought I would kind of explore it thoroughly this evening. Delusion, as you all know, is one of the three root kilesa that, uh, of which the Buddha said, if we can become free of greed, aversion, and delusion, that is freedom. Freedom from greed, freedom from aversion, freedom from delusion. This indeed is Nibbana. And so while greed and aversion we get relatively familiar with, both the subtle and obvious forms we we start to recognize, as especially as we check into the attitude in our mind, we may see subtle forms of greed, like just leaning in to experience, or the obvious forms of greed, if like really want that second piece of chocolate. Likewise with aversion, you know, so we, we get more, we get pretty familiar with greed and aversion, and both Carol and I have spoken about that quite a bit. Delusion is harder to see by its very nature, of course. Delusion is harder to see, but not impossible. And so tonight I'd like to offer some information to hopefully help kind of lay the terrain around delusions so that you might begin to recognize it in your experience. Delusion can, you know, kind of one of the main ways that delusion functions is is as a filter on our experience, that we're seeing through something that's not allowing us to see things as they are. That yata bhuta, Carol was speaking about last week. Things as they have come to be. When the mind is clear from greed, aversion, and delusion, we can see things clearly. But filters, or I like to use that word, it's kind of like we have a lens on that colors our perception, our how we take in experience. That is a form of delusion when we don't recognize that there's a filter there of some sort. And so greed and delusion, greed and aversion themselves can become filters on our experience. And so in one way we can see that delusion can arise when greed and aversion are there. That we, and some of you have reported this, described this in your experience, seeing how there's a, an aversive state, for instance, and then just recognizing that, oh my gosh, there's just like this filter, this aversive filter, no matter where I turn and look. I look at the flowers and it's like enough of that already. You know, just seeing that, that, the, that the, the filter is distorting how we take in experience. And so that distortion is a form of delusion. 
And so delusion can arise out of greed and aversion, but fundamentally delusion is more foundational. Greed and aversion themselves are really based on a misperception, a delusion, a misunderstanding, uh, a a kind of a, a view or belief that underlies our mind. And so just... So, for instance, wanting or desire, greed. The greed itself is that kind of pull towards something, that kind of, you know, that, that, that sticky quality, that just like, ooh, yeah, that kind of that heading in that direction. The aversion itself is the kind of wanting to separate, you know, just like, you know, that, that quality of mind that wants to separate. But the delusion that underlies greed is the belief that getting that thing will make me happy. And greed wouldn't arise if that belief weren't there. Likewise with aversion. There's a belief in there that if I could somehow separate from that unpleasant thing, then then I'd be happy. So that's the delusion embedded in aversion. And so greed and aversion are founded on delusion. And we can begin to see in greed and aversion the beliefs that are operating. We've been talking about looking at beliefs in the groups and some in the hall as well, just, just as almost as a way to check in a different form of checking the attitude, sometimes we can, we can check in what's being believed right now. And that can begin to reveal some of these underlying um, delusions. Now, beliefs are not always delusion, but when they are not seen as belief, there is some way that they're functioning as a filter, as a kind of a when, when we don't see a belief as a belief, we are taking it as truth. And there's a, 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 a form of delusion in not recognizing it is a belief. And so this is a big way that, that delusions function is through this, this, this aspect in our minds of views, of beliefs, of ideas, of opinions. And so that's some of, of what we'll explore this evening. And what I, I'd like to kind of explore dif- different, maybe different aspects of delusion. Many of them are based in this, these different kinds of views and beliefs. But the, the kind of most obvious kind of delusion, the one that's maybe the easiest to see, or the one that we're maybe most familiar with, is just basically a disconnection from experience. And so that's one aspect that, that will talk about is just this kind of this not being connected to experience. A second form of of delusion that we'll look at is what I I like to call um, kind of um, it's personal or cultural delusion. It's it's based on our own conditioning. The conditioning of our families, the conditioning of our lives, the conditionings of our culture, the views, the ideas, the beliefs that kind of are, is the 
the, what we're swimming in, in terms of what we take to be reality, what we take to be true, those, though, that level of beliefs and views is a big part of, the, the, of, of how we relate to the world. And this is a, a kind of a level of experience that we, can, that we begin to see. And many of you have talked about seeing this kind of thing, seeing patterns and habits of the mind wanting to, to do certain things, orienting towards familiarity, for instance, or orienting towards new experience. Now, these are conditioned. These are patterns, habits conditioned in our own personal lives based on our, based on our families and our cultures and our conditioning. And then a deeper level of delusion seems to be a, um, kind of a, a level of delusion that is what I like to call human delusion. You know, it seems to come with being born as a human being. The Buddha describes some very fundamental forms of delusion that distort how we take in experience. Don't let us really see things as they have come to be, things as they are. And so we'll try to cover all of these at some, at some level. You know, while I said I'm going to cover this in some de- depth, um, I spent one series at my center in Redwood City of eight weeks covering delusion. So to some extent, it feels like this is just the tip of the iceberg around delusion. And yet, I think there'll be enough here for you to begin to, to um, recognize it. It's not, it's not so much, again, I want to, to restate, pointing to this, this topic and talking about delusion. If this is not the instruction, go see if you can see delusion. This is a description of how delusion may be seen. And so the description of this may create the conditions for there to be a seeing of it. So you don't have to go do this. It's, it's much more just information that may help you to, uh, to begin to recognize it when it's happening. Because it's happening all the time. It happens a lot. Delusion happens a lot. So this first kind, this not connecting with experience, this being disconnected, or basically lack of awareness is a form of delusion when we're not mindful. This can be a form of delusion. When we're not aware of what's going on, when we're lost in thought, when the mind is is in its has created its story and has taken up residence in its thought world. It's so amazing to see this happen. It's quite, quite something to, often we see it not so much when we are in it, because when we're in it, we're just in that world, believing it. But when we're curious about the moment of mindfulness returning, sometimes, as, as I've been pointing to, we get this kind of contrast between what it's like to not be aware and what it's like to be aware. In the moment of 
the mindfulness returning, we can get this sense of what the mind was doing in that moment of just being completely absorbed in the reality of a thought. It almost feels like a cartoon bubble that is burst. When we are in that world, we are, it's like we've fully taken up residence in that world and we fully believe it in a way fully believe its existence in that moment. We can see this as we come out of, of, the, of the world of thought. Sometimes we can get that flavor of, of how much we had invested, how much the mind had invested in those thoughts and invested in that experience. And then coming back, it's like, wow, that, that doesn't exist. And in, 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 that, in this moment, Sometimes I've seen when the, when the mindfulness returns in a, in a kind of um, a lot of clarity, there can be a little bit of like, wow, that was so much delusion in that previous moment. At one point I was noticing, I noticed that my mind had woken up into um, a thought about being with an old partner. You know, a partner I hadn't been with in years. And... Um, and had, you know, kind of worked through the, the reactivity around. And so in the coming out of that thought world, it was like there was this confusion. It's like, what? What? I'm not, I'm not in relationship with that person. What? What's going on? So the mind had so completely invested in it that for that moment, for those moments, it again believed that relationship was current. And the coming out of it, it really startled the mind to see how much it had believed that. We can see this. See that, that, you know, how much our minds believe that through the being lost in our thoughts. And so we can start to be curious about this kind of disconnection in that moment of returning, in that moment when mindfulness returns. Again, we can, we can get familiar with the mindfulness, but also some familiarity with that quality of the mind that is disconnected. And so there's some other flavors of this kind of disconnection, which, um, you know, spacing out, dullness, sleepiness, even restlessness sometimes, where the mind can be disconnected from experience. And we, we talked about this a little bit last week, I think, the, that the, um, sometimes we can have a, a belief or a view that I can't be mindful while spacing out's happening. Kind of sense or a belief that there's some certain states of mind that are inherently non-mindful. Spacing out being one of them, perhaps. And yet, mindfulness can infuse spacing out as well. So there's this um, kind of, I think I said last week, you know, if there's the thought, I can't be mindful while X is happening. I can't be mindful while spacing out is happening. When I have that kind of thought, I, I just don't believe it anymore. It's like, well, let's see. How might it be possible? to be mindful while that is happening. So kind of a curiosity about these states in which we are habitually not mindful. So 
So that area of delusion where we're disconnected from experience, that's probably the most obvious way that we see delusion or kind of recognize it after the fact. We don't so much often see it while it's happening, that kind of delusion. But we, we notice as we come out of it. And we see how thoroughly the mind had been caught and may get a little flavor of, in the waking up, that quality of the mind being kind of stuck and in that world of believing that, those thoughts. So we may be able to, to, to see the mind heading in that direction. We talked about this with uh, noticing where mindfulness gets lost last week. As we wake up into experience, it kind of begins to uh, familiarize the mind with those kind of states. So we can wake up into spacing out. And if instead of thinking, oh, spacing out, let me change the experience, but like, oh, spacing out, this is being aware of spacing out. It begins to help the mind connect with those states in which we're habitually not mindful. So curiosity is a real ally for us. The second level of delusion, this um, personal delusion, cultural delusion, delusion based on societal conditioning, our own conditioning. This is really where these filters begin to come into play, these views, these ideas. You know, as we're conditioned, as we go about our lives and live our lives, we are being conditioned in so many different ways. And the, a lot of our beliefs and views, part of the reason they're so... Um, deeply in there and not even necessarily seen as belief is because they don't tend to come in necessarily through, um, through language. It's like we're not really taught these views, many of these views. Some of them were taught explicitly. But many of them are just kind of absorbed based on how we see interactions happening around us. And so they be, they're kind of nonverbal beliefs in a way. You know, they're what's right, what's wrong. You know, simple things, you know, like culturally, that like how close you stand to somebody you don't know or how much eye contact you make and things like that. The, these are things that we just absorb. And so there's a lot of this kind of conditioning that happens that we just take to be, well, this is, this is what... This is what, this is the way things are in human interactions. And it's not until we find ourselves in another culture. I think this is one of the reasons I, I liked to travel so much, is to kind of, kind of be startled by these kind of deeply embedded views and beliefs. It's like, oh, that's not the way it always works. That's the way it works in my life. And so we, when we, we see, we can kind of see a discomfort in a, in a situation that, that may be a sign of, of some kind of view being challenged. And so when we're immersed in a view in that way, we don't see it as a view. 
we, we just take it to be truth. It's the way things are. And, and you know, views are pretty um, active in our minds. They shape they shape our minds. They shape how we take in experience. And so while we think we are these kind of, you know, recorders of experience, almost like our eyes are cameras and our ears are microphones just picking up experience, there's much more active shaping of our experience that comes partly in through our views, our beliefs, our agendas, how our culture has shaped us, how our families have shaped us, the things we take in, what we actually notice, some of that is shaped by our views. There's a lot of study actually about this um, in the last number of years. the, this, this, there's a term, I don't have it in my notes, so I can't quite remember it. It may pop up here, but there's this, this uh, oh, confirmation bias, that's it. That we, um, when we have a view, our system tends to orient towards taking in information that confirms that view. And likewise, not taking in information that disconfirms that view. So this is a form of delusion. It's not necessarily, you know, making us not um, um, be aware of something, but there are certain things that, that we are not aware of. So there is, there is some lack of awareness because the view is kind of, it's like, it's like the filter has holes in it. It lets certain things in and not other things in. And so views really shape our lives. What are our views, our beliefs about who we are, what we're capable of? Our views and beliefs about others, who they are. These things, these views and beliefs can um, prevent us from seeing other people as they really are. You know, we, we box people in. We limit them based on our views about them. And we limit ourselves based on our views about ourselves, what we think are, what we think we're capable of. And then there's some pernicious kind of cultural views that shape us too. Some of these cultural views are responsible for some of the biggest kinds of suffering in our world, racism sexism, homophobia, the views and beliefs around skin color and gender and sexual orientation and gender identity. These views and beliefs shape how we relate to each other. Certain cultural views, you know, we we just, again, they kind of come in through osmosis in a way. You know, one seems so um, pervasive in the United States is 
United States is the land of opportunity. Anybody who works hard enough can achieve their dreams. And so this kind of comes in somehow. And believing this as truth, we, we may not be aware that, well, there's limitations on opportunities. Often, the, the color of our skin, the orientation, our gender identity can influence those opportunities. And so this kind of view can prevent, in particular, white people from seeing the privilege of you know, the white heterosexual uh, people from seeing the privilege that that carries, that the opportunities are available for certain, certain people and not necessarily opportunities available equally. So this, this can lead to the, the not seeing, the delusion around White privilege is basically a form of delusion, this not seeing this. Filters and, um, you know, these kind of what we take in, what we don't take in, it doesn't even have to be a view that we're holding deeply that has this kind of filtering quality where we see something and certain things and not see other things. It can be as simple as an agenda, something that we pick up for a very short time, going to do this, and that agenda that we have kind of orients us towards the task at hand. This is useful. It it helps us to kind of filter out things that aren't relevant to the task at hand, kind of focus us in. It's called selective attention. There's a name for it, psychological name for it, selective attention. When we have an agenda to do something, our attention selects things out that are relevant to that agenda. And we miss, we do not see things that are not relevant to that agenda. Now again, this is a useful functioning of our minds. It actually can help us to accomplish things. And yet there's the problem or the, the, the misunderstanding, I guess I should say, the misunderstanding here is again that we believe that we're getting like the full set of information. So even when we are um, um, engaged in uh, a, a selective task, we may, you know, something, something we're told later that did you see that happen? You know, that there's, there was a study, many of you have probably heard about this study around um, uh, people were given a task to watch on a video the number of times a basketball passed between players in, the white, in white t-shirts. There were different colored t-shirts and they had to count. So they had to do quite a bit of, you know, um, monitoring and tracking, you know, the white t-shirts when the basketball was being passed from one to another. And so that was the task. That was the agenda. So they watched that. 
and, and most of the people could correctly say the right number of passes between, between the, the people in the white t-shirts. And a few of the people like said, was there like, you know, was there like a gorilla that walked through that video? And, and some people was like, no, there was no gorilla. And, you know, but, but they actually, they played it back and there was a gorilla, a, a person in a gorilla suit who had walked through the basketball court while this was going on. And some large number of people, a lot of people did not see the gorilla just didn't see it at all. Now that's selective attention at work. Again, this kind of, it's kind of stunning to see that and see that video back and say, wow, that's amazing how I could not have even seen that. It, it kind of, it, it creates the, the awe of the mind of how it can actually not see something. It begins to help us to recognize, wow, my mind is not seeing what is there. It's seeing what it is expecting, what it is. So the views, again, the shaping of our minds. This can be, this can be a learning from that. And yet, I read in one um, review of this study, one kind of description of this study, that there were some number of people in the study who, after the video was played back, they were showed the video back, that they said, that cannot be the same video because I would have seen the gorilla. Now that is really delusion. The inability to know that this is how our minds work. I mean, we need some respect for our minds. It's useful that it does this, but we also have to have some respect. Like if we're, if we're like, you know, this is one of the, the things that makes me have a great deal of pause around, you know, single witness identification. You know, it's like, it's so easy for an agenda of even a moment to obscure information. So this, knowing this is helpful. There's some other ways that views are formed personally, but um, I think what I'm gonna, I'm gonna move on uh, to the to the more human side of this, the, the deeper kinds of delusion. Um, but again, you know, just to, to orient or to be curious about what are the views that are happening? This is, the, when we can recognize that the views, the beliefs that are happening, we don't have to tell ourselves not to believe that. We don't have to like say that's a it's 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 a view it's a belief so i shouldn't believe it but it's useful to know it is a view it's useful to know that it's happening and maybe filtering our experience and so even recognizing oh this is what's being believed is really helpful we don't have to try to convert that belief into non-belief it may be a useful belief but still, it's useful to notice it as belief. So that, that can be a simple kind of version of checking the attitude almost. So what's being believed right now? So the deeper kind
kind of delusion, more fundamental human form of delusion that we seem to just share because we have our human minds and bodies and brains and the way things work in there. This is kind of a more insidious form of delusion because, you know, not only does everybody around, not only do our family and friends share these delusions, it's like pretty much everybody on the planet shares them until we start having some teachings and some understanding around how our minds work. So one of the kind of key aspects of this um, kind of human, the way human delusion works is that we tend to relate to experience through concept and believe that concept to be the reality. So we have a perception of some kind and then we take that perception to be what's actually out there. We may even, that there's kind of different range, range of levels of this. It starts with simple perception of just like seeing something and identifying it. That sound is the sound of a morning dove or that sound is, or that sight, that's, that's a, that's a, that lump on the road is a, is a, maybe it's a dead chipmunk. So there's a perception there. Then there's a kind of a, a deepening of the, delu- the, the way the delusion kind of begins to, to deepen is that we begin to think about that. It's like the, 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 um, the teaching, the, the one sutta that I'm referring to here, the, the Vipalasa Sutta, which is basically the distortions. That's the Vipalasa means distortion or inversion. Um, talks about three levels of this. Like there, there's, there's distortions of perception where we're kind of taking our perceptions to be reality. And there's distortions of thought where we, 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 we take, we start thinking about the, the thing. And we, like the, 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 when I talked about taking birth into that world of thought, that's kind of the distortion of thought. We take our thoughts to be reality. And then there's the views the beliefs, that's the third level, the most, the deepest level. So a story, some of you have heard this story a number of times. Um, When I was in Burma practicing uh, at Shui Umin, my my dorm room was relatively close, the dorm I was in was relatively close to the wall of the monastery and the sounds of the village kind of came over the wall, you know, the, the, the loudspeakers, and so lots of, you know, kind of human noises and things coming, coming in. And, um, and one, you know, in the evening, each evening, I would hear this kind of repeated sound. It was a kind of a squealing sound. And I um, kind of just identified it or perceived it as a pig squealing. 
that was, you know, that was what I had had um, heard squealing before, and so that was the perception. It was the sound, and it was perceived as a pig. And so it kept, you know, I, I heard this regularly each night, and at some point the mind kind of created this idea. So here's where it kind of shifts into thought, in a way. It created this idea that this, this squealing sound sounded kind of distressed, and I got this idea that there was a butcher on the other side of that wall, and that each evening at that time, the butcher was slaughtering the pig for the next day to sell at the market. And so there was a lot of emotional response to this. There was compassion for the pig, for the pain of that, and you know, so there was, there was just a lot of stuff going on around it. So there was the sound, the perception, there was the belief, the, the, the thought that this pig was being slaughtered. Now I knew that this was an idea. I knew, I knew that I didn't really know if that's what was happening on the other side of the wall. But still, my mind kind of, so there was the belief in that, and so there was the sense of the, the emotional response to it. So perception creating that response. And then one evening I was um, out walking at that time of day instead of sitting in my room. And uh, you know, it's, it's dusk and I'm walking up and down the quarter mile road in the middle of the monastery. There were these like swooping creatures flying by really close. It's like, oh, those are bats. And they were squealing. That was the sound I had been hearing. While I had some idea that the uh, idea that it was a pig being slaughtered was a view, it had not entered my mind that the belief that it was a pig was a view. You know, it's like, there's no need for compassion when it's like, not only is it not, a, not being slaughtered, it's like it's not even a pig. So again, the, the kind of the, the, this, this pattern or this kind of, uh, the mind tends to relate to experience, not through the actual experience, but through our concepts through our ideas, through our beliefs, at a very basic level. Looking at the flowers, looking at the trees, looking at people, hearing sounds, what we perceive, we take to be reality. We relate to experience through our perceptions, create thoughts and views about that. And largely this goes unnoticed. Until perception makes a mistake, until our until our, um, you know, it, it gets pointed out to us that our perceptions and our thoughts are, are wrong. You know, and and the, the thing that the, the Buddha points to, or actually I think it's more in the commentaries that it's pointed to, this kind of, um, the deepening of this entrenchment of the delusion here, is that it's relatively easy for the correct perception to unmask 
the, in, the incorrect perception. So as soon as I saw the bats and heard the squealing, it's like, oh, that wasn't a pig. It wasn't like I held on to the idea, no, no, it was really a pig. There really is a pig on the other side of that wall. It's like it was so clear. So that perception was, was seen through pretty quickly because it was, it was, just, it was just a misperception. When it gets into the thought realm, it gets a little harder sometimes to, to break that, uh, that delusion or the kind of the belief. And when we get to views, it gets even harder. And we can see this in how that uh, confirmation bias works. I read a study about, about um, you know, looking at people who have differing, um, differing views on a topic I don't know whether it was political, but just there was there were these two people that were that were um, um, there some they were doing some work on trying to you know understand how views whether whether views can come closer together or whether people can see things as views how they get hardened into views, and so they they did this um, study about two people with very different views on a topic. And each one was um, encouraged to try to convince the other person of their own view, you know, to try to, to, to point out why their view was appropriate or whatever, correct. And what seemed to happen in that situation is that the views got more entrenched. It's just like we, we, we tend to, because of confirmation bias, we... we you know, we, we orient to things that confirm those views. We don't orient to things that we actively discount. Actually, when we get to the level of belief, it gets harder to take in information that disconfirms the view. We, we just don't go there. Even if we hear it, we somehow figure that's wrong, it's bad information. And this is going on so much in our, in our, in our country, right, in the United States right now, this kind of entrenchment in views. And so this, the, the, the commentaries pointed to that, you know, when it gets to the level of belief, it, it, it's very much clung to. It's like people will cling to beliefs even in the face of evidence to the contrary. And so this is one of the ways that delusion kind of works in our mind, this kind of entrenchment around from perception to thought to uh, to belief. <clears throat> Another very foundational teaching in this same text, the, the text on the distortions, is that um, the Buddha points to that we tend to take what's impermanent to be permanent. We tend to take what is unreliable as reliable, and we tend to take what is not self as self. So you probably recognize these three, anicca, dukkha, anatta. Anicca, impermanent, dukkha, unreliable, suffering, anatta, not self. And the distortion is like the inversion is that we tend to um, orient in the world as if things were permanent, as if things were reliable, as if things were self. Turning on its head 
things as they actually are. And so this is the, the kind of most fundamental form of delusion in a way, These, this, this, kind of, this kind of distortion. Sayadaw says, this kind of delusion, of this kind of delusion, he says, delusion doesn't mask the object. It masks the nature of the object. It masks the true nature of the object. So we see something, but we take it to be permanent. We take it so it's not that it's not that we're not knowing, it's not that we're not aware of something, but we are seeing it in a distorted way. We are seeing it as reliable, permanent or self. And so we can begin to be curious about these tendencies, the tendency to land on something as solid. To kind of, you know, take something as being lasting. Anything, if anything feels solid or stable in your experience, be curious about it. Notice that feeling of solid and stable and, and be curious about it. And what does the mind take to be permanent? Kind of, um, it's interesting. It's like we do this thing. At least in my in my sense, it's like we 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 create a perm a, 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 a it's like this permanent impermanent. It's like we know we know that things are not like really forever at some level of our mind. You know, we know that things are not forever. We know, we know at some level in our mind that we will die. I, I actually saw this today as I was walking up the hill. I was thinking about being in here and, and reflecting on what I was going to say and you know, thinking about sitting up here in front of the room. And I thought, in this moment, I'm believing that's going to happen. I'm taking myself as permanent. In this moment, I'm, ta- I'm, I'm going to get there. And yet, you know, I actually, it was really windy, and I had seen some pretty big branches, like, <laughs> down on the road, and it's like, you know, who knows? I might get clobbered by some tree falling down and not make it. Yeah. So this, this kind of, you know, we, we, even for little moments, we, we kind of, Take up residence in the belief or the view of permanence. And it's, it's belief in permanence in ourselves, in our, you know, there's a kind of a sense, a way almost, that we believe in our, in our immortality. And so the Buddha encouraged us actually regularly to reflect. There was a, there's a, 
teaching the five subjects for frequent recollection. And four of those for subjects for frequent recollection have to do with reflecting on impermanence. I am of the nature to age. I've not gone beyond aging. I'm of the nature to sicken. I've not gone beyond sickness. I'm of the nature to die. I've not gone beyond dying. All that I, all that I have, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. So when we see, you know, even in just little flashes or in little moments of kind of, it's like that we project ourselves into the future, that, that kind of like, oh, I will be there. Like that's a moment of, of, of taking up residence in, the per, in permanence and believing that. And so just curious about that. And, and we can also be curious about just like, what is it that we're taking to be solid or stable? What is, what? Is it really solid or stable? How long does it last? And seeing what's reliable, unreliable is reliable. Now this is the, this is the kind of perspective on which greed and aversion are based that you know we 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 think that there's something out there that's reliable as a source for happiness something that you know sense pleasure that's going to make me happy there's this this form of taking what is um, unreliable as a source for lasting happiness as being as good as it gets being the place where we can land and so this aspect of taking what is unreliable to be reliable, this is the ground out of which greed and aversion grow. And so again, beginning to, to be curious about where are we looking for happiness? That searching. Several of you have talked about this, the searching, and even some of you have pointed to a kind of a pure sense of, of wanting just not even knowing what you want, but just like wanting something. At certain points in our practice, our, our mind may just be like, yeah, there's got to be somewhere, somewhere I can land and find happiness. This is a very deeply conditioned belief. Kind of ve- it's not, it's not um, hardwired. It is possible to see through it, but it's really deeply conditioned. You know, there have been times in my practice that in, you know, seeing the mind just craving someplace to land where it can just rest and aware of that. Just like I mentioned this in one of the groups today, you know, yep, I see you. <laughs> You're not going to find anything, but search away, have at it. <laughs> you know, just because this kind of deep seeing, the deep way in which this kind of delusion manifests, we're not going to be able to just say, oh, I'm just going to, I'll stop doing that. You know, if we could do that, that would be fantastic. But it's so deeply conditioned that that often what we can simply do is know that, that it's happening. 
just watching the mind, searching, searching, searching for some place to land and find happiness. Okay, that's what, kind of like I let, my, I let the mind do that. It was like, <laughs> have at it. <laughs> you won't find anything, but I, 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 I can't stop you, so I'll just hang out with you while you do this. <laughs> It was kind of sweet in a way, you know, this part of my mind that just thought, no, I got it, I got to exhaust every single possibility. It's like, okay, we'll let you try. <laughs> and, and, and so this is like some place very deep that this, these, these delusions are embedded really deep. And so sometimes what, all we can do is just really watch them unfold. Watch our mind believing them and know This is the mind believing something. This is delusion. So the time is kind of short, so I'm not going to to go into the the not-self. Maybe maybe one of us will talk about that at another time. But one thing I do, the the piece I want to point to here, one piece I want to point to is that... um, One of the ways that we begin to really see delusion, and part of the reason I could see that searching as just a delusional mind was because there had been at some point the mind recognizing at a very deep level the letting go of that searching and a different kind of happiness available. And so kind of the, the seeing through of that delusion can happen. We can see through delusions at many different levels. You know, there's, there's, there's a lot, all of these different ways of, of pointing to delusion, delusion. They're kind of different levels and depths of delusion. And we may see through it at some point. And, you know, when we see through a delusion, it's quite stunning. And I, some of you have mentioned this kind of sense of, Wow, this is so obvious. How can I not see this? It's just so clear that it doesn't make any sense to want something. So, so we, we see through a delusion there. But then, minutes later, maybe, maybe an hour later, you know, sometime later, that state of understanding... It's like the, the, the seeing from that perspective, the wisdom of that seeing has a life and, and it, our delusion comes back. And yet in that coming back then, you know, when we've seen through it, when it comes back, rather than having the sense of what am I doing wrong that now I can't see that anymore, maybe we can have the, the sense of, oh, now I can see this as delusion. Because once we've seen, once we've seen it, once we've, se- we've had that kind of break, breaking through to recognize, oh, this is what it's like without that delusion, then when that delusion is, is functioning, we can know this is delusion at work. This mind is not trustable. This mind is filtered by these, these views, these ideas, this perspective. 
It's not seeing things clearly. So we can know that. So delusion can be seen in this way. We can't choose non-delusion, but we can practice in this simple way what's here in this moment, noticing our relationship to experience. And this creates the conditions for the understanding, the seeing, for the wisdom to grow creates the conditions for wisdom to grow, and it's wisdom that sees through delusion. We don't do that. We don't make it happen. And so it's time to stop. Thank you for your attention.